Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. I'm here today with Sam Hill. Many of you will know Sam as she's the community manager for us in the free Do More Than Therapy community, Psychology Business School, and the Do More Than Therapy members group. So we keep her really, really busy. Sam has built her business around helping people's communities to thrive. It's a real skill, and she's here to share with us the secrets of a group that gets people talking. So welcome to the podcast, Sam. Hi. (laughs) I've been trying to get Sam on here for ages. (laughs) (laughs) Because when we first met, I had absolutely no idea what a community manager was or why anybody would want one. But now I absolutely could not be without you, Sam. Um, (laughs) So why don't we get started uh, with you telling us a little bit about how you came to be a community manager and what that is. Okay, so um, I used to run a wool shop. So I had a knitting business for 11 years um, and I built up a really um, strong, thriving community from that business. And when I sold the business, uh, I realised that was kind of what I was good at and what I missed most about the business was the community and so I had the opportunity to look after my business coach at the Times community Janet Murray and she's become like one of one of my main clients Um, and yeah so I that's what I do full time now is help uh, business owners like Rosie to to build communities essentially what I think a community manager is is customer service online that's how I describe it if people don't understand that's a really great way of describing it because it it makes people in my experience anyway since having you on board it's really helped people to feel looked after and like we're kind of more on the ball than I could be on my own yeah I look after yeah I look after people care for them make sure they're happy (laughs) And I know that there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who want to create a Facebook group or some other kind of online community because they're thinking about, you know, selling a product or a service that needs quite a big audience. And in some of the previous episodes I've recorded about Facebook, I'm pretty sold that if you're on Facebook, a group is the way to do that. But there are groups and there are groups, right? Um, And you can spend a lot of time getting nowhere with a group if you don't really know what you're doing with it. So we love data in the psychology community. You know this. How can we how can we tell? How can we measure if a group is doing well, if it's thriving? Um, so what I look at first is the insights. So if you're if you've got your community on Facebook, which is where yours is, um, there's an insights in there, which is really helpful. And that will show you the first thing you want to look at is the engagement figure. Um, so if people are engaging, you're doing something right. Um, it's not about numbers. Don't get hung up on vanity numbers. Um, you can have 50 people all talking to each other. That's brilliant. You could have 50,000 and your engagement be super low. So that's like the main thing you want to look at. Um, the other one is active member rate, which um, you'll know I put in your report every month. Um, so that tells you who's looked or seen or commented on any comments at all. Um, that's really important because as your group gets bigger, um, you'll find that it, that gets a little bit lower because lots of people don't see everything that's in the group. So that's kind of where you need to start with, with the insights and data 
stats. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, because one thing I didn't realise um, until we started working together was how much of an algorithm Facebook really is in groups. I kind of thought that I would see most things from a group that I was a member of. But that's really not the case, is it? No, not at all. And actually, it's funny because I've just done a video recently showing how you can make sure that people are seeing more um, comments in your group because I was part of a group that I didn't even realise because it wasn't shown on my feed. Um, so the best way to do that in a Facebook group is you can change your notifications so that you see every single post that comes through. Um, so it's, it's best to like ask openly, ask your, your members to do that. Um, but also the communication uh, is every time you put a post out that somebody comments on, the next post will be seen more. So it's really important to get people talking. So this is why engagement and active members kind of work together as the most important stats, because presumably if you're getting lots of engagement on a post, more people are going to see the posts and become active members. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, more. So if you've got a really, really popular post um, and then you've got a post that you think might not be as popular, put it after the most popular one because the algorithm will, will show it to more people because the last post was active. If that makes that's sense. a really good tip because people often ask me in the Do More Than Therapy community, you know, I've got this uh, blog post or a podcast episode or a video even that is on a topic which I don't think is going to get very good engagement, but is really important. Um, and that can be a way of getting that scene, can't it? I remember when I was writing yeah. about trauma, that was something which um, we had to do quite a lot uh, because, you know, I'd have like a light conversation post, get as many comments as I could on that one, and then do the blog post post afterwards because nobody's going to admit to needing the blog post that I was about to put up yeah and I, I think I wanted to see it <laughs> yeah and I think in in the communities that your listeners will be in um a lot of topics that you talk about won't necessarily lend itself to open conversation so that's why you need the lighter sort of conversation starters in the group first um, to allow that to kind of get shown to everybody and then that might lead to a private message or an email or and, and going on like that. Yeah that was definitely how it used to work when I ran groups for parents with different kind of clinical struggles. Uh, it was very much like nobody was going to kind of openly talk about their problems in the group which I must admit I was a little bit disappointed by. One of the reasons I set up um, a couple of the groups that I set up was to try and provide support and did a lot of thinking about how to manage risk and all of that stuff. It was a lot of work, but actually that wasn't what people were on Facebook for. That wasn't how they wanted to access me, but I would get work um, in my inbox. I would get people kind of messaging me from that and the, the group stayed kind of lighter. And, and we can talk more about that later if it's helpful, kind of, you know, one of the groups I did worked well because it was very task focused. Yeah. And I think that can be helpful, but we, we might come on to that a little bit later, I think. Um, so, you know, if engagement is really important, I think the first thing people are going to want to know then is, well, how the hell do I get people to talk in a group? 
So the best way is not to be super like businessy. And I know that sounds completely back to front, um, but you need to remember that everyone in your group are people, um, whether it's members to do with your business, like Rosie's um, growing for psychologists, or you've got clients in there. Um, so have conversation starters, which is what I call them. Um, so like really silly things, like what's your favorite color? It's easy conversation that anybody can answer and they don't feel pressured uh, and that will start the conversation and make people feel more confident I think to to get going with the conversations. Mm, so it's about asking them something that's easy to answer and kind of non-threatening? Yes definitely yeah mm. it, made, it just things, makes it more comfortable. Yeah and different things seem to be more comfortable for different audiences as well so I think you've probably got to test like, do you remember in the Zoom One Therapy community, we tried to do a like gifts conversation starter <laughs> yeah. and because it worked really well in another group that we're both in. Um, and I love a good gif, but it turned out that yeah, people in the Zoom One Therapy community did not like a good gif. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where you need to have a little bit of patience. It's test and trial. People come to me wanting me to give them like the straightforward, you must do this, this and this on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and it will work. But unfortunately, it's not the case. Like a lot of businessy groups, you do need accountability and wins. But, you know, I manage um, a baby group that you, you don't want accountability in a baby group. That's not going to work. So you do need to consider your your audience, I think. With yeah. That. I mean, with everything in marketing, I feel like I'm always kind of banging on about the fact that good marketing is actually good listening. Yes. And it's the same when you start your group. You've got to get to know those people um, and what they want from you and what they want from each other. And then you're just kind of facilitating that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so what are some of the common mistakes you see when people set up a group for the first time? Um, one of the big mistakes is that the host, so for example, Rosie and hers, feel like they need to answer every single question immediately. And I think all this does is scare your clients because no one's going to want to talk to each other. You need to remember it's a community and they're talking to each other. And if you're going to jump in and answer every question immediately, that's never going to work. Um, so try and let them answer first and then you jump in and, and answer the question. I think that's probably the, one of the biggest mistakes. Um, another one is not setting up rules. I don't know. Oh, I was going to talk to you about rules. Rules yeah. is something that Sam like enforces for me. Because <laughs> I think for any community owner, you want to help everybody. You want to let everybody in. Um, I, I really struggled with this, but Sam has proven to me um, how worthwhile rules are. So tell us a bit about why we need rules, Sam. I'm, I'm very strict when it comes to rules. So strict. <laughs> I think you well you need rules because it's your group you need to remember that that's it is your group and your rules goes um because especially in business like people will come and take advantage unfortunately so having a good set of rules set up at the very beginning uh makes it a lot easier if then later on someone breaks a rule or you get arguments in the group or I don't know someone wants to come into the group that the group's not there for you can just point them to the rules and say look this is the rules of my group no <laughs> and it's easy as that really but 
yeah, lots of people shy away from them. And I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, I know why. I think it's because <laughs> you you feel like you're denying something helpful to somebody and that never feels comfortable, especially a lot of the people that we've had to say no to, we've had to say no because they, they aren't a mental health professional. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very important to the doing modern therapy community that it's a safe space because everybody can be confident that everyone else in the group has a shared understanding of the work that we do and you know it doesn't matter whether you're a psychologist or whether you're a therapist from a completely different um, school of thought to me you know essentially everybody in that group is somebody who has you know committed their career to helping people with their mental health and and that brings with it a certain mindset and that's the community that we wanted to create um, but I find it really difficult to say no to people just because that's yeah, not. I think that comes in with the questions as well. Like when you have a group, you get a choice of three questions that you put in. Um, and I always say to my clients, like, go with the question. Don't just let them in if they haven't answered them. Like you need to be strict about this because that's about engagement as well. Like if somebody can't like almost can't be bothered to answer three questions before they come in your group are they gonna talk in your group are they gonna engage probably not so that's kind of why I'm super strict with that and taught Rosie to be <laughs> yes because I think yeah you're right somebody who's not going to answer a question probably isn't going to talk very much in the group and is that bad then is it bad to have people there who don't do anything I wouldn't say it's bad like you'll always get kind of a percentage of people that just sit there and that's fine because you never know like I lurk in some groups and then I'll buy something like six months later so you'll always get those people um but you you're the majority of people you get in there you want to be engaging because otherwise it's not a community mm. So I've realised I've kind of sidetracked you a little bit into, into talking about the question. So I'll ask one more thing on that <laughs> and then I'll go back to rules. Um, but with the questions, one thing that you showed me that has been really helpful is using the questions to get people onto our email list. Yes. It, does that work for a lot of people? Yeah, I've seen it work for probably 80% of my clients. Um I had one client that was really upset that she didn't get an email from everybody. That's never going to happen. Um, some people might be in there. They just want the community side of it and not the rest. And that's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, you, you've got to use that, I think, as a business. Um, as long as you're GDPR compliant, which I know Rosie's got information about, um, and you tell them what you're going to do with the email address, then absolutely you should ask for that. Uh, and it's a really good way of growing your audience away from the group as well, which you need. Yeah, and I, that's something that I wanted to, to talk about, really, because although a Facebook group is a great thing, and at the moment they are in vogue with Facebook, I think you'd yeah. agree. Um, yeah, totally. It's, it's the best part of Facebook uh, to get traction with, and it's what Facebook is prioritising right now. Facebook's really fickle. And it could go tomorrow and yeah. accounts get shut down on Facebook, you know, all kinds of things that you can't control happen on social media platforms, any of them, not just Facebook. 
so for me it's really important to have a backup way of communicating with people and and also you can offer I would argue you can offer more value if you can um, get into people's inboxes because you can send downloads and checklists and and whatever it is that you're using to support people you can reach them in a different way if you get their email address so I think it's a win-win for the people that want it um so to at least offer them that when they join the group I think seems like a really good idea yeah I yeah I agree and I, it's scary actually like I've heard recently of people being asked to prove their identity and having their whole Facebook group and profile shut down and that's really scary if you've grown a massive group and your whole business relies on that uh, so yeah you definitely should use them questions to get people on your mailing list um, and you can also then do onboarding things and send them nice emails about stuff that's going on in the group it's it's another way to touch base with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember who I was talking to. I think one of the Do More Than Therapy members was asking me about that. And I think it's a really great idea to email people to say, I'm going live, for example. If you're going to put the effort in to do a live video in your group, you want as many people as possible to be watching that. Yeah, and sending people an email reminder about it is a really powerful way of doing that. I must admit, I think I've taken my eye off the ball with that. Um, I did used to do it um, and I think I've, I've stopped. I don't think I've done that for a little while, but I think that's actually a really great way of, again, helping people have the best experience possible of your group and get the most out of it. And that's what you're trying to do. You're, you're giving them an experience for them to come back. And if they feel involved, then they'll engage more. So, mm. so coming back to rules, actually, because yeah. I kind of diverted you off into <laughs> questions because in my head I was just thinking about that today. Um, but which rules do you notice are the most important to stick to uh number one rule that you've got to have is self-promotion and spamming like no matter what your group is about you will get this like i've not i've not seen any group that hasn't got it it would amaze me if someone told me they never got any spam um so having that is super important uh, you want to give your community the chance to like promote themselves or tell people about themselves. However, if you don't have that rule in place, your whole feed can become just full of promotion, which then it's not a community anymore. So yeah, and it can it. get really sticky, can't it? Because yeah. in clinical groups that I've run, I've had people join and then promote their service which is really similar to mine yeah. in the group and while you know I'm pleased that there are other people offering similar services to me and I don't you know if you've listened to this for a while you know that I don't really believe in competition and I kind of think if we work together we raise the whole industry up and there's more than enough work and all of that at the same time the hours that you will put into this group mean that you know you you need to be the you need to be benefiting from it. Your business has to benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be harder for you to benefit from it if somebody is promoting an identical service to yours in yeah. that group. And also, I people have a limit, don't they, to how many promotional posts they're going to look at. Yeah. And if they see too many, they'll start tuning them all out. So you don't really want them to be tuning out when you finally put yours <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah when you put your own in and that's that's why the rules are super helpful because when you remove a post in a group it gives you the option to refer back to the rules so you can click on the rule that it's broken and it tells that person 
So it's automatically doing that for you if you've set them up in the first place. Yeah, so it feels a lot politer because all you're doing is saying, yeah, sorry, this is the policy, um, especially if you do have a dedicated promotions thread anyway, because I mean, it's it's complicated if you're doing one for businesses as well. So in the Do More Than Therapy community, uh, we have the same policy. And for that, I actually love people sharing what they do in that group. It's very unlikely that people are in direct competition with me or with each other. So it's not really for that reason that we don't allow promotion. It's, it's simply because the, the, the feed that people see would be unreadable because people are doing so many incredible things. So instead we distill it all onto the Monday post. Yeah. I think it's called shameless plug or something at the moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and that is then a really nice resource bank for people. If you're looking for something, um, then it's really nice to be able to click down on that thread and see what everybody's up to. And actually that thread made me cry this week. Aww. I don't know if you saw it, Sam, but my Wait, God, I'm... people are doing some incredible stuff in the group. Um, and that, that's my um, my favourite uh, post in any group is like the the plug one or the wins post where I get to hear what every, everyone's achieved. Uh, it, may, it just makes it nice for other people to find as well. So you're not scrolling through for hours trying to find something. It's all on the same same thread. Mm. And as a group owner, you've got to be thinking about that, haven't you? You've got to be thinking about the experience of the people who are using your group and trying to see it through their eyes. Yeah, I think I think as a, a group owner, people you forget what your feed's going to look like. Mm. Um, it looks and, different to you, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, and I well, I think because you're the only one that sees all your content, you you see your stuff first and then it kind of gets lost I think and if it although we want everybody to share everything all the time if you've got it organized it's like a filing system if you've got it organized properly then it's much easier to use that as well going forward with content mm. so that that kind of helps everything really yeah I mean thinking about that the like organization of the group how should we be using stuff like units because sam does all of that for me <laughs> you can probably tell we use units in the group but i've never actually figured them out how should we be using that yeah so units actually uh today i have found out has been renamed guides um oh, right. <laughs> yeah for some for, for some groups uh so if you're listening to this and you don't have units it's now called guides um, you use it as a filing system, essentially. So in a group, um, if you've got like podcasts that you want everyone to be able to find really easily, you can have a unit for podcasts. Um, and like Rosie goes live in her group. So it's a really good way to go back and file it as a live so that when you get new members coming in, they're not missing out on that content. Because um, if you just left it live in your feed, my goodness, you'd never be able to find it again. So that's kind of how you use units to the best of the ability. Um, another way I've seen it used in like smaller memberships is to have um, each person have a unit of their own. Uh, and yeah, and, and I don't think it would work for a, a big community because it would be become overloaded. But if you were using it as kind of a mastermind type thing, 
um, you could put each person would have their own separate unit and they could put all of their stuff in there so people could find it. Um, and so, yeah, that worked really well. But for you, we use it as kind of a filing system so people can just go in, find what they're looking for, come back out again into the main feed. And that kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, really, because I think people who've listened to the other podcasts that I've recorded this month on Facebook will know that the way that I see ha having a group is just a different method of delivering something of value to people and for me it, it makes sense that you would obviously need units in your group because you're going to be providing loads of high quality cornerstone content as I call it like podcasts or blogs or videos um, but I don't think that necessarily is the way that traditionally we thought about groups on Facebook so can you talk a bit about that about you know the role that content or podcasts or blogs play in the life of a group yeah so I think if somebody's got um what cornerstone content as you call it um it's much easier to grow your group um it's much easier to talk about your group in other places um and it, and also it gives that sort of cornerstone to to your group the reason why you've got it um, I've had people come to me previously with no content at all and said to me, my group's dead. There's no, nothing going on. And I say to them, OK, so have you got a blog that we can repurpose into some uh, conversations in the group? No. And it, you kind of stop dead when you haven't got that content. Uh, I must say Rosie's group is like really easy to make conversation because she's awesome and she has this podcast. So, totally can, awesome, obviously. We can, <laughs> so we can repurpose these podcasts and we can talk about them in the group and we can, you know, it, it gives you a starting point, essentially. Um, but also, you know, you can then use it on on Instagram or Facebook pages or it, it's just the whole thing becomes a lot easier. When yeah, I really don't know what I would do on social media full stop without cornerstone content. Um, yeah, it's it's very hard to do anything. And I am proof of that. <laughs> so much of my time in people's communities that I don't I don't have cornerstone content of my own. And I've been really looking at this recently because um, I keep telling people they need it and it does it makes it much easier you can I don't I don't think you can be on social media um, in a good way without having content unless you're me and you're in communities all the time <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's about having a journey for people to go on isn't it yeah like there's no reason for somebody to come and join your group if they don't think they're going to get something out of it and that cornerstone content that you produce, it shows them what you can offer them. And then in the group, they get to discuss it with you in more detail and with yeah. people who are like them. Yeah, it builds trust, I think, and shows that you know your stuff as well. Like you, you don't wanna, I think people are so busy that they don't wanna come into groups and just sit there and not, not getting anything from it. Um, it gives it a good platform as well as you say to discuss stuff because mm. um, like a podcast you listen to it and you might have something you want to ask the person like where would you go to do that in your group that's you know that it gives you that opportunity to talk about it there so yeah, yeah. good point and I, I just think that's the way that the group adds value it's having that forum to take the 
the message of whatever you've created further and share your thoughts and ask questions with like-minded people and the person that created it. And I think that is a shift. I think when I joined social media, when I joined Facebook, I was an early adopter. Um, and actually we were just really excited to talk to people and we were just going on there and willing to, to join groups and join in with chats that were literally just chats. But not now. I think today there are so many avenues that you can take on social media. Yeah. I personally, I don't even know how many groups I'm in, but it's it's more than I can handle. Like the, the pages that I need to go through to delete are overwhelming to me. So I don't even get I don't even get out of the groups that I don't want to be in. And so that's how overwhelmed we are when we come onto our social media apps. So we're really only going to choose to be in groups now. I only would join a group if I'm really excited by what I'm going to get, um, either from the community or from the person directly who's running the group. Yeah, and I, I think that's where the engagement and communication comes to as well. It, it's a full circle, really, because there are so many Facebook groups. Like, I don't even know, there must be thousands, thousands of them. And you need to be the one that stands out. Mm. And if you've got that cornerstone content that you can then use in your group, that makes you stand out instantly. And then if you've got the engagement on top of that, it keeps people coming in. So it, it is a big circle, really, of where you what you need to do. But I am a big fan of cornerstone content. I think you need it. <laughs> Definitely. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, really, was why pop-up groups can be more successful. Because I know that there are some people listening to this who have really struggled to get their groups off the ground. And when we've kind of unpicked it a little bit, it's been because their topic is really big. And I, I think people don't think they can solve that on social media. Um, so my advice has been like, let's pick a really tiny part of that problem and see if we can get a little bit of shift in, in somebody's life over a short period of time. Um, and I would use a pop-up group to do that. But I've noticed a real trend for them. And I think it's not just me that likes them. So why, why can a pop-up group work for us? No, it's not just you. I think pop-up groups have become super popular in the last kind of year. I've seen more and more come, come up. Um, one way that a lot of you people use it are for challenges. Um, to get a kickstart on your social media, that's a really good way. Um, but like a niche subject, like you, you mentioned, it's because some of your businesses are so wide and can be about so many things, having a pop-up group allows you to just concentrate on that one thing. Um, and people are eager to talk in there because they know it's going to be gone. And I know, I know that sounds a bit odd, but I've been in a few recently where they have been super busy and they would never be that busy all the time because people know that it's not going to be there. It's not forever. They get more out of it. They, they take part more. So, it, yeah, it can be a really good way to sort of kickstart something, I think. Um, the danger, though, is to keep your pop-up group open. Um be careful when you decide if you want to do that or not, because I just I've seen it work where pop up groups have been left open and it's been brilliant and it's turned into an amazing community. And then I've seen others where there was loads of like enthusiasm for the challenge or the, the niche topic they were talking about. And then it just stopped. 
Mm. And so you need to be very careful when you make that decision of keeping it open or closing it. Well, it's a little bit like therapy, isn't it? It's like if you have a pop-up group, essentially that's a group where you contract that we're going to work together intensively on this topic for a set period of time. Yeah. And just like with therapy, you can agree to extend that period of time. Yeah. But you have to have really good reasons for doing it. Otherwise, it's not really going to serve anybody particularly well. Um, and I think a really good example. I'll have to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in a pop up group for a mastermind, so it was a twelve week mastermind. So if you're doing like a twelve week course, a pop up group is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were in it, and we used it for accountability, and we knew it was closing, so it didn't come as a surprise either. Um, and it worked really, really well for that twelve weeks. But I don't think it would have worked for longer because it was just a twelve week course. So. Yeah, and often they can be really short, can't they? I mean, I think a lot of people in Do More Than Therapy have done some kind of LinkedIn challenges. Um, We had a pop-up group for the blogging challenge. Um, Those were all only, you know, a week or two weeks long, I think, those groups were open for. Um, The longest one I've done as a pop-up group, actually, was the 21-day mindfulness challenge. I don't think I called it a challenge, actually. Mindfulness journey or something. (laughs) (laughs) a bit more congruent. Um, but it was a it was a mindfulness group where we had a set activity every single day um, for parents who were going through divorce. So it was really quite specific and it was over the Christmas period. And that was the first time I'd used a pop up group. And I couldn't believe how well that worked because I'd set up groups for that audience before that hadn't worked particularly well. But it was the task. It was the fact that it's okay for me to talk because I'm talking about a specific task that everyone else here is talking about too. Yeah, it's making sure that it's specific and it's a niche and it's one thing. I think that's why. And there's no set rules. You can have a pop-up group for a week. You can have it for a year. You know, as long as you tell those people when they're coming in that it's not a forever group that's going to be there. Um, and actually, it, it makes the conversations much easier as well if it's a niche topic um because then you know what you're talking about every day um but it works really well for tasks like if you're giving them a task every day and you ask them to post in the group it's it's a really good way to get instant feedback as well um from your clients that way yeah definitely and I just think there's something about you know if you're really not sure about the direction of your practice if you're still at the stage where you're thinking you know I've this might be a good specialism for me, but I, I'm not entirely sure yet that I've got the kind of vision and mission and specialism all marrying up together. Then set up a pop-up group, put a lot of work in. There is no point kind of doing it half-heartedly, but yeah. put a lot of work in for a set period of time. Get to know those people in that group really well. And you will get to the end of that with a much firmer idea about what they need from you and whether you want to do it yeah actually when I I did that group for parents going through divorce it went extremely well I got to know people really well but I got to the end of it and thought actually that isn't the specialism I want that just isn't isn't for me um and that was it was tough in a lot of ways and I'd put in a huge amount of work but it wasn't wasted whatsoever I needed to get to know that client group to know what they needed and to know that that wasn't something that I felt I could provide with the life that I have right now 
Um, so it's always valuable, you know, even if yeah. you spend ages on a pop-up group that then you close and you actually are like, that's not the specialism for me. It is, it's valuable time. Yeah, and it's okay to open a group, put the time in, learn what you need to learn and close it. That's okay. It's what what isn't okay is just to continue a group for no reason, it not give you anything and be scared to close it, I think, yeah. which I've seen, I've seen happen. Yes, yeah, well, I was scared to close my first group. Yeah. I knew it wasn't bringing me any business and I knew that it wasn't really helping anybody either because <laughs> there was virtually no chat in it other than between people who I knew knew each other socially. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is not really doing anything for anybody. But it was still really difficult to make that decision to close it, really difficult. And I still look at it sometimes because Facebook hasn't got rid of it off my side panel and I feel like a little pang of sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, you do have to make that decision because if you're going to run a group, it's going to take a huge amount of your time. Yeah, it's hard. There is no way of running a successful group that doesn't take hours every week. Yeah. Um, so it's only worth doing it, in my opinion, if it's essential to your business vision. And yeah, I've talked. I, I agree. I uh, people come to me uh, to talk about setting up a group, and the first thing I ask them is, "What is it for?" Because lots of people feel like they need a group because everyone else has got a group. But when I say to them, what, what's your group for? They don't actually know. And, and that's where you're gonna sort of, I hate to say the word fail, but fail instantly if you don't know what your group is about. Um, and, and having a Facebook group or any group, any community anywhere, it's it's hard work. I'm not gonna lie, like it is it's a lot of work. And Rosie's nodding away because she knows how much work her groups are um but they're totally worth it the benefit from it if, if it's done well is is worth your time I think yeah absolutely I think there is no better way of getting to know your ideal clients but it only makes sense to do it really if you're trying to build online authority because yeah. because you've got a one-to-many idea in mind I think yeah no um, I agree and and there's a lot of people in private practice, for example, psychologists and therapists, who they really don't need to build a community online. And I really don't want you to feel obligated to do it. Yeah, no. your vision isn't demanding it of you. But I think, you know, if you get really clear, if you, if you go back and you listen to the um, vision and mission and values episode, and you listen to the ways to use Facebook episode, which I hope will have come out last week, a bit rubbish at sequencing, <laughs> but it should have. <laughs> um, if you listen to all of that and you think, yeah, a group is gonna take me where I want to go in my business. This is the best way to connect with this client group. And I'm really excited about it. Then you'll find the energy to do it. And you'll find the motivation to maybe, maybe, um, take a little bit of an income hit say no to a few clients so that you've got the hours to do it yeah you need to kind of play that long game and because Sam's known me for a few years now you've seen me have to do that yeah it is a long game Facebook groups they're not an instant it's not going to be an instant win overnight um some people get lucky 
uh, one or two, but the majority, it is the long game. It's growing it and sticking at it and accepting when a post you try doesn't work, you know, and you just move on and try the next one. It's, it's definitely, yeah, definitely the long game Facebook groups. And that's a really good point as well, that you will put stuff in there that just flops totally and oh, you have yeah. to do that. Yeah, there's been, I mean, even in the uh, groups I manage, like your your groups, there's been posts where I've said to you, no, that, that's not work. Let's not do that again. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, loads. <laughs> so, you know, but you won't know that until you try and you need to, and that's how you learn what your audience wants is to put things in. I mean, people are so scared of getting it wrong, but actually that's probably the most valuable bit is getting it wrong because then you know what you need to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so actually, thinking about how much work it is, <laughs> um, one question I was going to ask you is, you know, how do people make the decision to bring somebody in like you to get help in their group? And what kinds of things can they get help with? Okay, so... I wish it was a really simple answer, like you should have this many people in your group and you should get a community manager, but it's not not the case, I don't think. I think if you can afford it, get a community manager from the very start, because to be in a community manager, you need to understand that person's business. And the more you get to understand that person's business and Um, the more you get to know their members the better job you can do essentially so I've been very lucky that I've been with Rosie from the word go so we've been able to grow it very closely together Um, but I know that a lot of people aren't in that situation where they can afford it straight away so I would say you know test some things yourself in there first open it up do you know do the threads take the tips that we've given you um and then when you're sort of reaching the point where you can't manage it yourself anymore where you're in there too much and there's too many things to moderate that's when you then want to come and speak to a community manager um other ways that you can get help is kind of power hours so i do um a power hour where i will set up a group because I think it's really important to set a group up properly from the word go, like the rules we spoke about and the questions and and all the units. And if all of that's set up correctly, it makes it a lot easier to run yourself. So, yeah, there's not a straightforward answer, but yeah, that's what I would probably say. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I would definitely echo that, that if you can get help at the beginning in some way, whether that's a power hour or just being able to pay a community manager for a very small amount of time, I think it is really helpful because you can always scale it up, but then that person has an understanding of what you're trying to achieve with your group. Yeah, I was gonna say that like, you don't have to, I know it might seem scary to have a community manager there all the time and and people that um, are listening to this will hopefully have seen me in Rosie's group and that might seem like I'm there a lot but then I've been with Rosie from the very beginning I have some clients where I only pop in like once a week just to check on stuff and that's quite a low cost really but the idea is to get it running properly and then to scale that grow it and then I can come on board more um but it it does help from both parties if it's from the beginning I I think and if you know that you are going to be a bit of a soft touch (laughs) that that you might struggle to make people stick to rules or that you might let people in 
Um, it, it, I can't tell you how helpful it's been having Sam there just to say, no, that's not allowed. Say no. Because <laughs> um, it really does make a difference. And I hope if you're listening to this and you are a member of the Do More Than Therapy community group particularly, I hope that you can kind of see the benefit of that in the group. Um, because I do think it feels like a really safe and friendly place to share stuff. Um, and I, I think that is a lot down to Sam's hard work, kind of yeah. making sure that things don't get diverted. And, and you know, Sam's always friendly. Like if we do, if either of us does remove a post or anything, we always have a conversation with the person. And I don't think it's ever gone badly because we'll find another way for that person to promote that thing. And because we're not anti-promotion, we're yeah, really it's each other up. It's about keeping it a safe place for people to feel comfortable, I think. And I think having the bonus of having a community manager. So for Rosie, the bonus of having me there is she can step away because if you know the clients really well, you want them to be able to do everything all the time when actually that's not the best thing to do. And having a second person be able to say, do you know what, actually that post doesn't sit right there. It's it's just another eyes on your business, I think, that can help. Because yeah. when you're running it yourself and you're in it all the time, you can't always see that. And it can feel really lonely as well if you're running it all on your all on your own. And especially, I think a lot of people listening to this will be thinking about setting up groups and feeling quite anxious about things like risk management. And having somebody that you trust who is a moderator with you couldn't be more valuable for, for that. Obviously, it's not a concern that we have with the Do More Than Therapy community, but it very much was with the, the group that I had for parents going through divorce. And just knowing that there is somebody else who actually isn't clinical, that I can bounce off, you know, my thinking and say kind of, would you find it acceptable if I were to PM you and suggest this helpline or, or that? You know, that is really, really valuable. And it, it makes you feel so much more confident that what you're doing is, is the right thing. So if you are thinking about setting up a, a group that you're anxious about from a risk management perspective, I think, you know, getting a community manager or a couple of peers on board to help you moderate, I, I, would, I wouldn't do it without that. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I might add, if that's all right, Rosie, is with your clients, I think the people that are going to be watching this, you might, I'm watching it, listening, because I'm talking to you. Um, one of the things you might want to um, think about is having a disclosure on like your rules, um, especially if you're giving advice, like if it's a medical, I, I don't know what sort of group you might have, but with the psychology um, groups, it's just to make it clear that it's not medically like advice there and you need to go elsewhere and get that. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think because uh, I've seen that happen in a few groups and actually I uh, the, the baby group that I um, manage, we get a lot of people asking for medical advice in that. Um, and we have to monitor, monitor it very closely. And I can imagine that it's the same for, for you guys. So that's something to consider when you're setting it up. 100%. And would you have that in the rules so that you can then refer people back to that really easily? Yeah, so I'd have it in the rules, but I'd also have it in something called a fair play agreement. Um, Rosie's got one for her membership. Um, and in that, it just sets out what to expect from the group. 
Um, not all groups need it. It just depends what, if it's a paid group, I think it's, it's most needed and we could talk about paid groups forever. Um, but yeah, just, I think it just sets out the expectations uh, because if you're going into a, like a therapy group, you know, that I can imagine the things that people could ask mm. could get away from the community that you're trying to create. So yeah, rules or, or a fair play agreement. Yeah, or both. And I think trying to create that in a digestible format for whoever it is that you're working with. So um, a, a video version of that plus the PDF document might be a really useful way of doing that for people that might not be so comfortable with with reading a oh gosh yeah I always encourage um, my clients and they hate me for it but to do videos uh, any any time you can to explain anything um, have a video in there because it makes it much easier for everyone to access as well as as the written version that kind of brings me actually to the final point that I wanted to talk to you about today um, I've had a few questions in my inbox recently about you know how how people can outsource their social media in general and one of those um you know one of the things that somebody was asking me about was you know can I get somebody else to post in my group as me and is that something that community managers do and I think we both we both have an opinion on this and you know that is that actually it needs to be you like you need to be communicating with your group as you in your authentic voice and um, whether that's on video or whether it's in your written posts but you know why is that so important from a community perspective yeah I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for this so I when when I start with a client and they say to me oh um can you post as me all the time I essentially say no because I'm not you um, aside from the fact I'm not a psychologist, so I, it would be immoral of me to give advice, um, you can't build a community on the back of it being someone else, because um, the tone's going to be different of how you say things. Uh, so yeah, I know you can't, you must do it yourself. And, and that's the same, all the content, you know, I post content for people. Well, um, people know that because we did have that a couple this. of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, people know this because there was lots of uh, content that made no sense whatsoever coming from me in uh, Rosie's group. But um, yeah, I, my, my rule tends to be if it's a conversation starter or a social media post, it's absolutely fine to get your community manager to schedule it for you, but they must have wrote it, written it. Um, so Rosie writes all of her own content and then she'll say to me, can you schedule this in X, Y, and Z? And so I do that, um, but I would never, and, and if we do do it by accident, we always tell people, um, I'd never post as me pretending to be Rosie because that makes no sense. Um, but however, I do encourage if you have got um, a community manager particularly to introduce them in the group and let your group know that they're there. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, in fact, I think it's a good thing. Um, it makes them know that there's someone else looking after them. Um, and then anything I reply to, I can reply to as myself. So I don't need to worry about getting something wrong or answering it wrong because they know it's not Rosie. They know it's me. Um, so yeah, I, I am a very, very stickler for that. And, and I, 
I disapprove of people wanting other people to pretend to be them, essentially. I think it's, yeah, it's impossible, really. Yeah, and I, I totally get why it appeals, because oh, gosh, yeah. everybody listening to this, effectively, it feels like you're running two businesses, because... Yeah. A private practice is a full-time job even if you're only doing it three days a week just running a private practice that it is full-time and then if you're trying to develop something online alongside it it, it can it is a lot of work and it can just feel really overwhelming and, and challenging and I've totally had that craving like can I not just give this to someone else please because I'm so so busy um but actually that meant it was the wrong time that meant yeah. when I looked at kind of the vision and my values and my mission, it was the wrong time to be pursuing an online audience. So yeah, you've got, I think you've got to remember that people buy from people. I know. And that's a saying that everyone uses, but you know, people are coming to you because they resonate of, for what you've said and who you are. So if then all of a sudden you're giving somebody else your content to write for you, that's not going to sound the same. Even even if I was a psychologist and I was writing Rosie's content, it would be completely different because my tone is different to yours. So yeah, I yeah I don't think it's possible, but it's it's a hard one to swallow if if you don't have time to do it yourself. I think. Yeah, but I I guess you know if you don't have time, it might well be because you've got lots of clients, and if you've got yeah. lots of clients, you might have you know, a little bit of, of wiggle room financially. So you might be able to say no to a couple of clients to make the time to do it. If your values and your vision tell you that you have to. <laughs> and I know I just keep coming back to that. But, yeah. but ultimately, I think often we lack clarity on what we really want to get out of it. And I think your message all the way through this, Sam, has been like, know what you want. And that makes yeah. it worth it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, if, if a Facebook group is a must for you and you must have it and you're struggling with time, then look at ways that you can save time, you know, get systems. I know Rosie talks about systems and processes like we have a really good system and process that we have between us that I'm sure saves Rosie time, even though she's writing all the content. And that's another reason to kind of make sure that you trust the person you're going to have running your group. Um, because then you feel more comfortable, I think, leaving them. But yeah, just make sure it's what you need, what you want, what you need. And don't just feel like you have to have one because everybody's got one. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point to finish on. So thank you so much, Sam, for sharing so much value with us today. Now, I know you've been working on your website. So <laughs> if people want to find you... <laughs> where can they go to find out more about you yeah so my my website is in a work in progress but you can find it uh samanthajhill.co.uk um but the best place at the moment is probably instagram so that's the same handle i'm sure rosie will put it in i will in i'll link to it in the show notes um and i have got a facebook group that you can come and join called the community lounge which uh, you're welcome to come and ask any questions and anything in there um, so yeah, that's me really. Thank you for, for having me on. Brilliant. Thank you for being here. Before you go, I just wanted to check something out with you because I don't know if this is just me, 
But do you sometimes wake up at two o'clock in the morning worried that you've made a terrible error that's going to bring professional ruin upon you and disgrace your family? (laughs) I'm laughing now, but when I first set up in private practice, I was completely terrified that I'd miss something really big when I was setting up my insurance or data protection practices. Even now, three years in, I sometimes catch myself wondering if I've really covered all the bases properly. And it's hard, no, actually it's impossible, to think creatively and have the impact you should be having in your practice if you aren't confident that you have a secure business underneath you. But it can be really overwhelming to figure out exactly what you need to prioritise before those clients start coming in. So I've created a free checklist plus resources list to take the thinking out of it. Tick off every box and you can see your clients confident in the knowledge that you have everything in place for your security and theirs. You can download it now from psychologist.drosie.co.uk forward slash client hyphen checklist and the link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.